Today's episode is a double order of non-toxic optimism with a side of good, please. Hi, Tracy. Hey, Tim. It's really nice to be here with you today, and it's really nice to have all of you listeners join us as well. We're incredibly excited for our conversation with John and Becky from We Are For Good, and we hope that you will find it as insightful and breathtaking as we do. If you're like me, who finds it easy to believe that good is losing, then this is an episode to tune into, because this episode calls into question the assumption that good is somehow not as powerful and frequently loses. Our guests today are Becky Endicott and John McCoy from We Are For Good. They believe that what connects us exceeds what divides us, and their non-toxic optimism is a force for good in the impact economy. Hey everybody, Tim and I are super excited to have you joining us for another episode of Why It Matters. This is our first crossover episode ever with We Are For Good. Uh, I coined it internally as the Simpsons meets Futurama and I'll let you decide which one of us is which. And Futurama, crazy. <laughs> I, I was thinking Simpsons, but I'll, I'll go for either. Um, and, you know, we are delighted to have Becky and Jonathan with us today. And we're also delighted to have you with us today, as always. So I wanted to dive right into the conversation and say both of you and We Are For Good have become a tour de force in the nonprofit eco world or ecosystem in a very short period of time, what I call the impact economy, what folks call nonprofits. And you've done so in a way that I call non-toxic optimism. And that is your work and your interviews give people a little bit more levity to their day and a little bit more hope in their work than they started with when they start listening to it. And that's a thread that goes through a lot of what you're offering the nonprofit ecosystem right now. What I would like to start with is, was that always your vision where you were always like, let's do non-toxic optimism? Or <laughs> did you have sort of a different journey to get to where you are that would be really interesting for our listeners to hear? Bearing in mind, a lot of our listeners are industry leaders who are possibly thinking about doing their own thing for their own business. I mean, wow. First, thank you. We, we love both of you dearly. And this time to get to spend together is like we've been looking forward to it for weeks. So thank you for the space and the time. And I mean, yeah, I guess it has been always in our DNA. It's definitely not an act. You know, I think Becky and I found each other Gosh, 20 years ago, she hired me as an intern walking into the marketing office of the OSU Foundation. I was wearing a tie that day because I thought I needed to impress. And there was <laughs> Becky Endicott, you know, and we hit it we off. didn't know what she was doing. P.S. Let's talk about that <laughs> imposter syndrome. Yeah, but I mean, she seemed to have it all together. I mean, she was leading a marketing department that was about to embark on a billion dollar fundraising campaign. And she was in her early 20s. And here, you know, I came in as the graphic designer and I do think we were starry-eyed optimist, but we both just really like loved the idea of philanthropy. And there's definitely parts of our story that we got burnt out from a lot of aspects of it. But I think both of us are just the type that, I mean, we could sit around and creatively brainstorm of 
Becky, I'm, I'm going back to this moment when we're, when we're thinking of annual reports and how can we story tell this? And we got so excited, you know, March of the Penguins was really big. We we're like, we're going to do March of the donors. And this is to be like this thing, <laughs> but it, the enthusiasm was real. You know, it's like, we truly just love what it did from a transformational aspect. I think we just believed in the power of philanthropy and that has been a very common thread. And so it's easy to show up and just celebrate that on the daily because we truly do love it. And I, I just think that we're both products of extreme privilege and we came from homes where we were deeply loved and um, we had great opportunities afforded to us in our life. And John and I have always called ourselves ridiculous idealists and we're just naturally optimistic about things. We see the good and the possibility and so much, which I really probably do hearken back to a lot of that, just feeling very nurtured and loved. And I don't know, there's something I think as, as disarming as it can be to just attack someone on social media, I think it's just as disarming to come in and love somebody really well. And it just feels like a very tenuous time in the world. And we've all been through a traumatic life event with a pandemic, no matter how it hit you. And um, I think the divisiveness of the world just seems kind of at an apex. And we just thought here are the humans doing the greatest work in the world. They are pouring themselves into purpose, whether you're the one that's funding something, whether you're the beneficiary, whether you're the nonprofit staffer, it's like for all everyone to come in and understand the symbiotic nature of how we need each other to help put more good into the world. We think we can do it more effectively if we take the ego out and if we take our personal agendas out, and if we can all just kind of harmonize and center around the thing that gives us all purpose, the thing that breaks our hearts, the thing that gets us up in the morning, then man, we can scale so much faster, accelerate so much faster. And people want to do that in community. And when you can love on them in community, they keep coming back when you're vulnerable, when you're authentic they see themselves in that. And so naturally I think the, I am cracking up at the non-toxic comment. It's hilarious <laughs> positivity, but I, I just think I love to love on people. I'm an, I'm an Enneagram too, deep empath. So it, it is as much selfish for me to do that. Um, and I love that it's kind of become this aw shucks, Oklahoma hallmark of our company. It was not intentionally planned. It's just kind of how we are. And also too, like we, you know, we had a business plan, like we had, I'm real entrepreneurial wired. And so mm. we, what we are for good was going to be took a lot of different kind of paths over the years. But as we started to hone in and we finally made the jump and we could tell that story, but you know, we sat down in Becky's kind of bonus room, like kind of staring at each other. Like, what did we just do? <laughs> like, we're like, Every we're about we to that. like have this, you know, moment when we're going to start the company. And Becky literally started with writing a love letter to philanthropy. And we sat down and circled out what are our core values. And we like we started from that place and it started to fall into place as we like live those out, not in a self-aggrandizing way. It just like it felt right. And being in nonprofit, there's a, so much scarcity, you know, and I think we love this place. And so things that you love, you want the opposite of scarcity. You want abundance. You want to give it the best that you've got in all those levels. And I think that's how we presented to wanted to reflect back to the industry that's so grossly underserved on every level. Often we wanted to kind of do the opposite of that in the way that we show up. So it feels over the top, but at the same time, it, it's like a love letter back to the industry that we really do love that there's a lot of 
incredible people that are pouring their heart and soul and expertise and creativity into it. So it's kind of come from that spot. That makes a, a bundle of sense to me. I think I will, I will share something personally, and then I will use it to pivot to Jonathan, something you just said. And that is, you know, uh, one of our staffers here at Now It Matters, uh, which is sort of the parent of why it matters in a lot of ways, I think, uh, you know, Joni Bryan talked a lot about vulnerability and did so in a way that really drew attention to the need to focus on under-resourced communities in technology uh, and used her own life journey as an example of what is the power of change when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and, you know, without our own egos involved in the circumstance. And it is that point of what is without our own egos involved, because tell me more about that love letter to philanthropy, because I, I have seen in my own world way too many times where really good ideas get kind of shunted by the wayside because of ego, because of the inability for a leader in specific, but more broadly businesses and organizations to want to be vulnerable and have two-way conversations with their constituents or customers. So tell me more about that letter uh, and what was in that and what made it a love letter. I mean, I think it was just one of those nights where I had two glasses of wine. I'm all up in my head about our business. And I really was just thinking about the, the miracles that we are so privileged to get to watch unfold in this space. And you mentioned, you know, under-resourced communities. And I sit there and think nonprofit is an under-resourced community. It is a community that has not had uh, money poured into it. Um, it's not allowed to scale and innovate because that quote unquote takes away from the beneficiary. We're taught to not value our mental health because you just got to make it work. You had a, you work in a nonprofit, therefore you sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a, Hey, they're the greatest human beings, the most creative human beings, the most heartwired human beings in this sector what would happen if we did the exact opposite of creating scarcity? What if we threw abundance into this sector? And so what, what was expressed in that letter was really our dreams of what we've seen on the very tip of that iceberg, on the fringes. If once you allow someone to scale, to dream, to go for it, to try stuff, to innovate, to use tech, you know, to get a, a normal salary, a living salary, to work, you know, a living wage, to not feel like while you're giving birth, you need to be on your phone, which we talked to somebody the other day who was like literally in the birthing process, trying to talk about how do I wind down these projects and nonprofit and it, it, stories like that are so shocking to people and they're happening every single day in your pet charities. And so our love letter to nonprofit was really expressed about what we see. And we, we believe in the power of good. We believe that philanthropy is very much a sacred space. We believe creativity brings stories to life like nothing else. We believe in the power of mission-based work. And finally, we just believe in big ideas 
and disruption. And then we just kind of rounded it all off with, we think that kindness is a superpower and it's Mm -hmm. one that people don't use. And to your point about vulnerability, you will never ever be able to fully connect with your audience from a marketing standpoint, from a sales standpoint, from a messaging standpoint, if you do not bring vulnerability and the hallmark of Gen X, a lot of our millennials, I'm even, or, or I said Gen X, Gen Z, but even Gen X, who I am, I'm born in the seventies. I Ditto. still value kindness. I still value things that move my heart. And so we think it's actually one of the great disarming tools that exists right now. And it is so prevalent in nonprofit and we're ready to flip those scripts and watch our nonprofit friends run once they understand that they are worthy of that. That's amazing. Thank you. I think, you know, one of the things that makes it hard to serve nonprofits is the conflagration of all of those issues that you just talked about. And you are talking about a community of folks who never actually get the opportunity to just have greenfield ideas and run with them nine times out of 10. So what needs to change in the meta structures around nonprofits that can afford folks that opportunity, I think is a really important point to call out to our listeners. That and I, I, I miss the seventies immeasurably. Um, my goodness, I miss them so much. My eleven-year-olds into seventies music, and it is just bringing me life so these joy. days. Just so opens much your heart when you hear yes. like the Eagles and the Steve Miller yes, band, totally, and you're like, "Oh, totally. this is wonderful." I mean, I do think there is some shifts that have to happen, and I mean, obviously, with everything negative that came through the pandemic. I think it helped a lot of ways of kind of speeding some processes that could have taken another 10 years to make happen in the nonprofit space. So I think there's been some beginning work, but with everything, it's got to start with like the mindsets. And I think there's a lot of people in leadership positions that have old mindsets. You know, we've worked in organizations that have old mindsets that there's, that's permeates and it's really holding back because the people that we look up to, the people that we see, across the industry that are actually, you know, charting a new path is they see the elimination of walls, you know, where we see really, I even think us saying we're the podcast for nonprofits. We saw a wall when we wrote that. And that was two years ago. Um, That's a limiting factor that we thought that's where we need to serve. And I think two years into the journey, we're like, it's not just about nonprofit. Like that's part of the problem is we think that we're the solution, you know, we're the, here comes philanthropy to save the day. And it's like, that's not going to work. And so I think as it's going to work in its own way, when it's paired with really awake corporations that see their influence and see their ability to take on a social purpose and where you can see how you can work with advocacy to mobilize an army of people that are never going to be considered big philanthropists, but people that have the social capital and the influence online to garner attention or uh, people that can move in a certain direction. And it's like, we got to get out of the walls. And so I think leaders that are viewing in that box are really holding the sector back. And so, you know, I think we see the challenge a lot of times. It's like, if that's you, you got to do some self-reflection of why is that? And it's cool. Like, like I just explained our own limited thinking in areas. If you're not willing to move that, you got to make room, like, because what we're fighting for is the most important work, some of the most important work happening on the earth. And we're holding it back by 
holding on to limiting beliefs and mindsets around how that work needs to be done or how it um, can shape and kind of move into spaces that it traditionally has not done. And so I think that's the biggest thing, you know, and that, that that's kind of the trickle down of everything to follow. You know, um, something that I've so appreciated about getting to know you both in multiple conversations now that I finally figured out in this conversation is that when you talk about good, one of the other things you keep saying is power. And, um, and I think that's important to recognize because cynics like me constantly fall into the trap of thinking that whatever the opposite of good is, which is like confusing in and of itself, but let's leave right. it there. Right. Yeah. Whatever the non-good is, is more powerful and that good is, you know, naive and to Pollyanna. And, um, and I think one of the things you keep doing for me is flipping the script on that and saying, actually good is very powerful and just a blanket things are bad is, is actually just as shallow of an analysis as, you know, thinking that, that good is not sophisticated. Um, and I, f- I feel like that's important. Is that intentional? Am I finally just picking up on what you've been saying all along and you know, where, where, yeah. How does that work for you? What, is, what does that look like? I mean, that doesn't, I don't judge you at all for that, Tim. I mean, I think we were all there at some point. I just think that we have watched this social experiment play out over and over and people, I mean, we're all different. None of us can agree on anything. How it, And we talk about we need more cognitive diversity all over nonprofit, all, all over this world. We need to be still and we need to sit here and we need to listen to someone else's story. We need to look at their face as they're talking about their lived experience. We need to hold court and allow them to feel the feelings of whatever that was that are coming in. And we need to allow that to shape our thoughts and our beliefs. And I just think we've worked in a system specifically in nonprofit where power dynamics are the name of the game. And you are constantly at the bottom of that, that pyramid and our thinking, we, we were looking at it going, we hate the pyramid. (laughs) We want to flip the pyramid upside down. And what would happen if you start to empower the base and the only way the base is going to be empowered and feel that they can move as a movement is when you tap into the thing that's the most personal to them. And when you talk to somebody about the things that they care about most, the other little things that we disagree on start to kind of slide away because we really care about hungry kids or we really care about climate justice and providing our grandkids you know, a a clean earth where they can live and breathe and walk. We care about animals and being kind to animals. And when you find people who can really dive into that, why the good just comes with it, because that intention is so pure and so vulnerable. And then you're, you're tethered like for life in this, in this heart thing that you have connected to each other. And so we actually think perhaps it's kind of been 
am I allowed to say this word bastardized a bit like to be good to we're be, an explicit podcast naive. on Apple. right excellent okay we're not let me love it oh I feel so like I, I'm seen um but I I just think that being good used to be this thing where it was like that's never going to get anything done and it's like yeah actually have you ever thought that it could get everything done well, I mean, I know Tim's itching to jump in on this, but the thing that just occurred to me while you were both talking was one, we have gone in the tech industry in specific through many iterations of what quote unquote good looks like, right? And for a while, the thinking was I give away X quantity of Y product and that's good, right? And for a while, the thinking was I give away something else and that's good. And what I really want to clarify and point out here is that it's actually not about you as a business, as a technology business, giving away things, either your product or in some cases that I've been asked by the myriad of business owners that I've talked to, like, Tracy, we're profoundly uncomfortable not, you know, we don't want to give away our IP. It's got nothing to do with giving away. It's got everything to do with how you show up and are willing to receive. Yeah. And I think that's the point that really comes clear to me. I love that, Tracy. Yeah. And I keep thinking like your question about power that keeps coming up in my head. I mean, it is a theme that that we keep sh showing that nonprofits need to come to the table from a place of power where you're typically like kind of the receiving end you have this impact, especially with the corporate sectors really trying to embrace, like you've got that power um, of just this impact of this decades of work or this kind of infrastructure that supports this. And you're not coming to the table with nothing, you know? And I think, uh, let me throw this personally where I'm seeing this um, because launching a business is a very personal growth exercise on every level and a friend exercise. I mean, oh Becky days. and I've had some really hard conversations over the last couple of years, you know, and I personally have a very limited like money mindset because of my own scarcity in life or some of my upbringing that I just, I'm more, I hold on to that and it terrifies me and I'll, I'll kind of drag my feet on making some of those decisions. And, you know, as we're, we've grown and we realized that advertisers is going to be a big part of our business, you know, moving forward. I mean, we're having more and more media platforms. It's part of it. And I was sharing that, you know, with um, a mentor on Friday and she's like, I keep hearing from y'all that it's almost like you sound, feel bad about making money. And I think that it's like, it's truly like somewhere in my core that it's like, if we're doing something that's good and noble, like that, it's almost bad to make money on the back of that. And she was like, you got to stop that like right now, because you can make so much more of an impact if you can embrace that more money is going to be able to give more power to influence in a positive way. And if I get to the core of it, if I'm really alone in a quiet place, which is really hard in my house, because there's, we've got two sets of twins and it's crazy all the time. But in my quietest place, I'm like, I do want more people that are good at their core to have more money, to be able to make the influence. Like that's a positive, like we need to be fighting and championing for that on every front that, that the good people in the world can get, you know, and, and have that power to make a positive difference and impact. So that's kind of threading together. Like, I feel like I'm having this coming of age story as the, as the nonprofit sector needs to be having that too. And some have embraced that, but I think others have a long way to go in that, in that path. I'm glad that you say that. And, um, and some of what you're talking about echoes for me very loudly, especially launching a business and then the multiple 
ways that that causes you to grow as an individual uh, is, is amazing. Um, and the, there's this way that you're, that you think about, uh, or that we all think about, um, about good. And as an economist, there's a lot of work I've done around, like, how do we do impact? How do you measure impact? Um, and, and when we were thinking about our podcast, one of the, one of the foundational assumptions that we have is that, um, and this is, I think, even easier in tech than philanthropy, but it's easy to just see impact or outcomes as external, right? Things that happen yeah. outside and that we need the right policies, we need the right incentives, we need to think about that high level. Um, and same with technology, you know, oh, this is base code, it doesn't have, you know, anything to do with, um, with who we are as people. And I think that's the the thing that um, now it matters and why it matters has pressed in the most is that this is actually very human centric and that um, what we create as humans flows from the values that are inside of us. So, you know, when you talk about getting to who you are at a quiet place in your house, and when we think about decisions that everybody makes and mindset that we have, I feel like it's important to say as values, as there's a, an increase in how, how important values are in business and impact, I think it's really important to plant the flag on those values have to start with individuals and, and that those values have to be contained within, with, within individuals. Um, and so I, I feel like that's easier for me to do a technology. I struggle with that in terms of marketing and philanthropy. And so I think one question I have is how have you, how have you maintained that in a world that looks to me very, very outward focused and very like, let's put the right kind of paint, the right kind of logos and, um, and maybe hide at times some of what isn't working well. Um, <laughs> the absolute horror and fear that all right. of us who have created businesses go through. All of right. us yeah. have it. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Um, that question? Okay. It makes perfect sense. And I, I'll do a little tee up because I feel like John will just explain this beautifully, but you know, our company started by outlining our core values. Like that literally mm. is what started our company. Our first core value is everyone matters. We have eight of them. Um, our last core value is community is everything. And we've got six stacked in between there and they're very, very simple um, ideas, but they are not, they're very untraditional and, but it's really about centering our work in the human component, because that is what it is. And I would even just say to you, Tim, like, cause you all have beautiful values expressed in your company. And it's why we love you all so much because you live them. And we have created a ton of content around our values. We did an entire Friday episode series unpacking each of our core values at the very beginning of launching our podcast, because we wanted our community to know what they meant to us and how they'll see them expressed. And we pull them in, I would say almost to every episode, we can thread back to having a guest on and we can illuminate why they're playing, you know, why they're valuing this 
the same value that we have. We love showing that value alignment. And again, it goes back to empathy and it goes back to making smart decisions. And we're thinking like a business all the time and we're not going to apologize for it. But I think that I think one of the the great things about our values that has made me feel so good is when we have people in our community, we have sponsors and vendors reflect them back to us. We've had sponsors come in and say, we want to create a mid-roll ad around, you know, core value number four, which is we're here to, you know, create believers, not donors. You know, we don't want to create donors. We want to create believers because believers are not only going to bring the financial uh, bottom line to bear, but they're going to bring passion, network, volunteerism. They're going to bring everything with them when you make, when you build a believer. And so when we have people in our community say that, I know I'm in the right place because you say these things about who you are and you live them, the trust that's built there. And that is something that I would take away. That has been a huge takeaway in building our business is that we're able to build trust so quickly and that vulnerability and that self-expression of who we are and reiterating it. I think it just had tremendous resonance specifically in the great resignation when people are leaving their jobs voluntarily and saying, looking around saying, why am I doing the work that I'm doing? You know, why am I spending my life working to death? You know, I need to find something that really you know, drives me and motivates me. And those are the people that we're ready to take in and mobilize in the for or in the nonprofit or the social impact space, because we want their passion. We want their hustle. We want their heart. We want all their creativity. And yeah, to think that a lot of them came in the door through our values is just like mind blowing. We just didn't honestly didn't even think about it. So John, go ahead. Cause I feel like this was a lot, your brainchild. I mean, I, I truly think it's a journey for both of us at the same time, but y'all know this from starting a company, it's very much reflective of the people that start it, you know, and I think some of these things were just kind of true of the way we showed up. And so I never thought of it as like disruptive the way that we did marketing. I thought we value people, we value people feeling seen and not otherized and all these things like, so of course that's how we've created marketing. I'm a designer by trade, Becky's a writer. So I can think back for 15 years of interviewing people in different settings when we were working in a nonprofit that we always sit down and say, like, tell us about your family. Like, I want to get to know you. We're not using somebody to just accomplish our goal. And I guess at the core, because we like, we love the people aspect of it. And so I think it is funny now, not in a funny, funny, haha way, but it like, it blows my mind that that was not the common way to approach marketing, you know, and I guess, cause we're such purists, maybe call us naive or whatever, but it's like, truly we've been doing this kind, I mean, call anybody we've worked with for the last 15 years. That's just how we did it because that's, we knew that was the most important core thing. And so I can't think of another way to storytell besides authentically in that sense. And it's truly what worked, um, uh, especially well when we were in healthcare philanthropy, I think of this campaign that really set our uh, minds and hearts kind of on how we are for good would look. It was this employee giving campaign, which sounds so dorky when we talk about it, which is not like bringing it up. Like, it was crazy. Those things are fraught with all kinds uh, of politics. So, I mean, just, just to give you an example, you know, we were tasked, let's do this. Let's create an employee giving campaign. So we started calling around shops and it's like, okay, we do Casino Royale for a month and we do the cruise ship theme Bahama and it's Mama, like, and we're going to hand out some candy bars on our cart with a pledge form. And exactly. So maybe call like, it like ego, but what? we're like, are people crazy? Like who Does wants to work? do that? You know? <laughs> 
So we just were like, how about what if we interviewed people and took unfiltered photos of them sitting on a stool telling their stories of what's happened in their life that makes them passionate? And we did that, you know, 11 years ago, probably now. And that campaign became like this, like kind of pace setter for the healthcare industry, which is how we got to different events and how we started teaching this method. And I'm like, at the end of the day, all we did was ask somebody to literally sit on a white stool and tell us their story. Like, why was that disruptive? You know, why is it disruptive to be kind and to see people? And I, I, I know that comes from a place of privilege, you know, to say that, but it's kind of just been in our DNA. So of course that's how we've shown up. And I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. It's just, um, it's sad that that's the place that, that your experience of marketing has been opposite of that. Because to us, it's like just an opportunity to storytell the heartbeat of why we want to do any of this crap anyway, you know, and um, that's just always been central. So it's funny. I mean, it I, echoes. Oh, go ahead, oh. Tim. <laughs> well, uh, this is really quick. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I would say it echoes um, kind of a transformation I had in talking and getting to know Mallory Erickson that. Oh, really started to reshape the way I thought about fundraising. And I think it's, I, I don't think my opinion's necessarily well-informed. It's just like, you know, it's, it's impressionist art and not, <laughs> not charitable either. So, um, and I, and so I think it's, I think it is when it's done best, it actually is centered around individuals, you know, and who they are. And so it makes, it makes sense after you say it, it's like obvious, of course, like that's the way it should be done. But I, I feel like it's just kind of a black box for me. So thanks for interrupting that. Mm-hmm. And I think well, the other thing with employee giving, sorry, again, no, we're go ahead. Already self-proclaimed it's, it's actually geeks. probably very salient. <laughs> so we thought, especially there can't be an inauthentic bone about it because you're running a campaign literally within these walls. So we were like, we want to have, people representative that are housekeeping staff. We want to tell a story of an IT manager. We want to tell the story of a corporate person to maybe humanize them more. And when it rolled out, we knew it had to actual fund actual projects. It wasn't going to a slush fund. It's It literally is going to be in the walls. So again, like it was almost the most basic campaign. Um, but as it played out, it, it stuck because people loved it. They're like, oh, I get to see what my money purchases. And you're like, again, why is that disruptive in our industry that you would expect mm-hmm. that? Um, but it was this perfect incubator for us to see this not only is a way to show up as a good human to allow other people to feel seen and celebrated in a beautiful light, but it's also really transformational for building philanthropy around what really matters to you and not just because vibrant cultures. I mean, we our employee retention went way up with this, you know, and not retention of giving, like staying. And it ended up being recession proof and pandemic proof. Like the fact that this campaign could still be raising, you know, nearly a million dollars a year from its employees is shocking. And it's because they believe and they truly love being a part of it and loving having their story be an integral part of what's actually happening when they come to work on the front line. So yeah, we, everybody should be doing that. And that's seriously and truly why we set up this company is to say, how do we democratize that? How do we share it with everybody? How do we make this open source so that 
we're not ha- we're not trying to get millions of dollars from this. We th- we'll know we're winning when people start to adopt this within their frameworks. They have healthy cultures. They're making you know they have DEI baked into their organization. Staff have opinions and voices in building pieces. You know, there's money in the budget for professional development and innovation. These are the things that we want to fuel as a part of what we call the Impact Uprising. We had a discussion right before we hit, and and I knew this was going to be salient, and I think you just hit the nail on the head, Becky, and that is we had a discussion right before we hit record around why does marketing feel inauthentic? And the aha moment I had while you were both talking is that I personally have been part of many, many, many endeavors, external ones, internal ones, corporate ones, small business ones, and the connection point to the communities served as the goal for what we are trying to achieve is the things that we already know are true. How do we maximize return on investment? How do we accelerate ACV? How do we promote interest in our own selves? And the flipping of the script that you have offered here is you actually have a more interested community around you when you focus on the things that elevate others with what you have as a business and as a leader. And, you know, therefore, you start your campaign from an entirely different perspective, because what you're starting your campaigns with are what are the values we want to represent and how can we achieve them? Not what are the outcomes we want to drive and how much money can we attach to them? Because what you're saying is actually by achieving the values, the outcomes will materialize. That's what I'm hearing you say. Boom. Bingo. Got it. I mean, we literally said to our CEO of our, we had a very large healthcare system. There were about 10,000 employees and we, we asked him, do we have your p- permission to build something radically different? And he said, yes. And then his eyebrow quirked up and he's like, like what? And, I, and we said, there will be no dollar goal at all for yeah. this campaign. It's gone. And administration is not picking any of these projects. They're going to be picked by the people for the people. <laughs> and, and it's just going to be threaded with story. And P.S. We want yours because it's going to be from the bottom up and the top down and everywhere in between. And so, yeah, you, you nailed it. It's weird too, Tracy, like that the idea of our mission is always like external, like we're going to go do this mission and serve these people, you know? And I think you've got to do some deep reflection of like your missions, how you show up inside. And especially if you're talking about a 10,000 person organization, like it's kind of critical, like the money is not the biggest issue here. You're trying to steward and build relationships with 10,000 employees. So the impact of them being activated, engaged, deeper, you know, connection to the mission and all of it, like is worth way more than you're ever going to raise. And so you got to look, it's like, you got to zoom out that that is part of your actual mission too. Yeah. You just surprised that he said yes. 
That yeah. was Becky. I wasn't, I was, I don't, on the I don't know. I don't know if I had some moxie or fearlessness always in me, but I just, went, yeah, I, I always have fearlessness. Um, um, I probably, cause I don't think long enough about what could actually blow up in my face, but you know, I, I think we just went for it and we have this kind of fearless component about, we know what works and we understand authenticity. And I mean, I'll just give an example, like a personal one. We, we did a mental health theme week on our podcast last fall um, because we feel like mental health is one of these elephants in the room that is never addressed in nonprofit. And so one of the stories that we had told that week was mine. And I was very upfront and clear um, and, and clearly very vulnerable talking about a nervous breakdown that I had within my nonprofit job. And it was only three years ago that I had it. I took a leave of absence. I talked about what led up to it. I talked about the moment that it was happening and the physical and mental and emotional things that were happening to me. And then what happened, you know, afterward, cause it's a long journey and I get so many emails and DMS still to this day from people who are listening to the back catalog that say that was me. And I think when you just find your bravery a little bit and you find your voice, we talked about finding your voice. It's, it is a freeing thing. And then yeah. it opens you up to community and to friends that you never would have met around the world who see themselves in your story. And so, yeah, I, I just, I cannot emphasize that enough, how much it's not only been healing for me, but healing for others to see that they're not alone. Yeah. I admire that a lot. There, there are, for even our listeners' sake, there are elements to my story that I am selectively withholding until actually my mother dies, really. There are some parts to my life that are quite brutal that I still have not talked about that I'm sorry, only my closest friend, like Tim, and obviously my wife, Amy, know about that though they're not going to see the light of day because I don't want to drag my mother through anything more, you know? Yeah. But I get it, and it's hard. Sorry, Tim, I talked uh, right over you. A question you wanted to no, follow up with? <laughs> no, I mean, um, yeah, and I, um, I'm, I think it's really important to raise that, um, raise awareness around it. Um, and I've, you know, I've struggled with my own mental health, and and doing that as a leader in a business, um, I know what it's like to share that firsthand. Um, and so, yeah, thanks for, thanks for that vulnerability. Thanks for um, making that uh, more normative for, for everybody. I want to pivot here a little bit and say, I think that you, um, I think you both end up in a space where you can look forward at the ecosystem here in a way that um, uh, uh, it, it comes from years of experience. It comes from a, working with a lot of different organizations. Um, and so a question that Tracy and I have been thinking about a lot lately is how important is technology for the future of good? Oh my gosh. In, wow. It's everything. It's everything. Becky, okay, Jinx. Jinx joke, you owe me a Coke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we did not plan that. Go ahead, John. I mean- You're Mr. Tech. I mean, I'm not, but I'm a student of that- we have to embrace, like we're, we're beyond the point of, we should already be embracing this, but I do think the next transition is going to be 
one that you got to get on the bus soon. And I mean, that's, that's what we're leaning into for the future because Becky threaded of just like this idea of open source. And I do think we grew up in nonprofit in a time that it was very set around people certain select people pontificating at conferences with all of their ribbons stacked beneath them to show how important they were. God bless you for that. I grew up in that era too. (laughs) Yep. So this, the, the khaki pants are gone, which is great. Um, All those kind of things, the pleats, pleated khaki pants. But I just think that there's a time now when it's like, Hey, those that want to come to the table, like let's share what's working. Let's support each other. Let's figure out how to merge. Sometimes let's figure out how to work across different missions and make it work. And tech is like going to help empower that. I mean, we're a tech startup and some levels of the word because we haven't met in face to face some of our dearest friends, you two included in that of, you know, the power of that. If we would have put our heels down and said, no, we're going to do an old style podcast. You're going to come to our studio. We would have interviewed like four people in the last year, you know, in my house. But um, it's kind of everything. And so as we look at the horizon, what at least the horizon line that I see today, like we're embracing that and we're thinking about how do we make the content today um, accessible in, in the most places where people are working today. Like if they're in their CRM, how is inspiration and guidance all there alongside them inside their CRM? How can you have those kind of interconnection points. But at the same way, how can we make it more accessible to get more people excited to learn and grow? So we're thinking of different ways to develop shows that would appeal to different types of people and types of industries within the sector. And so tech plays a big part of all of that. And we're going to need friends like y'all to help uh, take our hand and tell us what we don't know. But we know that it, it has a lot of power, you know, and those that are leaning into it are those that are, that I want to hitch my wagons to. So what do you have to add, Beck? I, I think I'll just kind of get into my confessional and talk about what I worry about. And the things that I worry about as it relates to tech and philanthropy is that it takes nonprofit so long to buy and to get on board with tech. They're so afraid of tech. And I will say I was one of them because I really think, you know, when I was growing up in the sector in like the two thousands, um, and 2010s, you know, it's been a hard 20 years. A lot of the tech was clunky. It was very oh God, clunky. yes. And it was hard to use <laughs> it without, you know, APIs and, and attachments. And I think of uh, just different ways that we had to like buy other tech to make other tech work. And we're like, oh my gosh, we're me. I'm a marketer disguised as a fundraiser. I can't figure out how to get this annual giving data in here and synthesize it in a really profound way. But the thing is, and the thing that I worry about is that we see a lot of nonprofits that are still in web 1.0 and web 3.0 is coming. And we're very worried about their ability to make the leap past 2.0, which really cannot, we don't think it's possible. I mean, you have to build your social frameworks. You have to build global community. And so, you know, digital investing in digital is one of our biggest trends for 2022. However you're doing that, it has to be a part of your business. And I will give like nonprofits a a reason why. This is gonna help you work smarter, not harder. It's going to give you an exhale and a breath because if you can automate these systems that we're seeing that are so smart, these technologies, 
it is really going to accelerate again, your ability to connect with the right person, to build a long-term engagement with them. They're probably not even going to be in your neighborhood, your physical neighborhood. They could be a, the other side of the world and tech is going to get you there. And so we've got to get out of the scarcity and the fear of that and start trying some stuff. And so we try to put tech almost into everything that we do because not, as you all know, podcast listeners are learners. And so they want to understand. And so we're finding that our community, and I'm sure yours is very similar, their window to buy is much narrower because they're already leaned in and listening. They're open to innovation and to change. They don't know what the tech is, but they're curious about it. And the reason we love you all so much is because you're finding ways to make the tech human. And that I think is, if we can figure that out, I think that window to buy, to use, to accelerate is going to shrink exponentially because nonprofits will see themselves reflected in that tech. Yeah, I see this world where it's not just the tech human, which is Tim's particular area of expertise. Like, let's be clear, let's give credit where credit's due. Tim, <laughs> wow. That is you. Tim knows and his stuff. You brought me on board to help you with that, but this is that's your thing. And the thing that I really try to focus on is the other side of that coin. And that is, you know, who are the businesses that making that tech possible? And and how are they aligning to where the ecosystem is going? And what are the shape of things to come for them as businesses? And the and the commonality, by the way, between both sides of that coin is you have to start with a different type of alignment than is currently supported by the market. And sometimes that alignment is an alignment of money. Sometimes that alignment is an alignment of values. And sometimes that alignment is an alignment of humanity. But none of that alignment is next quarter's ACV numbers. And I think yes. that is where the world is going. And nonprofit consumers are consumers that are buying on those values that feel profoundly challenging to folks even like me, because you know, you're talking about going up in the early aughts, you know, I yeah. navigating <laughs> hardware VPNs between national oh offices gosh. was Building where I got my websites start. websites in Dreamweaver oh. and learning. Oh, <laughs> Dreamweaver. Oh, I haven't it's... thought about Dreamweaver in so long. Oh my God. <laughs> I just, you know, back even then you wanted to claw your eyes out, but you knew there yes. was no alternative. And now there are alternatives everywhere. And I think that's what scares people is there are alternatives everywhere. So when you see alternatives to you everywhere, you're going to knee jerk to the same behavior that's gotten you where you are because you at least know you can predict on it. Oh, you know, so it's smart. interesting what, what you're talking about comes full circle in a way, because I think when, if you, if you just listen to the words that we've used around uh, the emotional words we've used around technology, um, there's a lot of fear, there's concern, there is, right. you know, um, and, yep. and so I, I feel like one of the, one of the things that happened for me is that I feel like I see the power of the good side of it. So I think right now our orientation is the negative emotions around technology and I'm midstream on a blog around 
how important emotions are in terms of data quality. So those those two things Ooh. align. And, and, you know, it's not about APIs. It is so much more around the emotions, expectations, and experience of what happens with users. And, uh, and so I just, I feel like there is just like you feel like marketing, uh, can be so positive and powerful and good. Um, I feel that way about the emotions related to technology and when you can, when you can take those emotions and point them in a positive direction around technology, you can open up new worlds for nonprofits, but it starts not with better tech. It starts with a better mindset around what can this is not, what can it do? I, I, I know that's important, but it is actually how, like, how do I feel about this is a, a more important question around outcomes than what does this technology accomplish? And we've, we've just been so focused on technology as outcome instead of the, the ways that technology and the fear around it and the expense of it. A lot of, the, a lot of the fear is around expense. And so one way to do that is to take the expense off. You can make change in your existing technology with your existing team. And that you know, you're already paying for all of that. So if you can if you can see gains with what you have, there's no additional expense on that. Um, so anyway, I know that that's my, my one other way is funding that. technology capacity, but that's been my high horse for 20 years. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sure no, is. really, like I've been I, I used to get angry at philanthropists, and I love that you started taking it back to this. Like I used to get angry because you wrote a love letter, and I got angry. Uh, and that maybe says something about me as a person because I'm going to write you a love letter, Tracy, from Becky to Tracy. (laughs) Oh, you know, if you're a philanthropist, there are very few and there are some, and there are incredible leaders that I can point to who are changing the shape of philanthropy around how nonprofits are funded. But, you know, the bigger picture hasn't shifted much. And that is still frustrating to me because what I want to see are nonprofit technologists who make a living wage. So I don't feel like I need yes. to jump to a corporate job to make a six-figure salary and do good in the world. And similarly, you know, we've gotten in this mindset as businesses serving nonprofits that we should do business as usual serving nonprofits. And that's actually not serving the ecosystem at large either. So you know, what is required is a whole scale reevaluation of how we serve and a convening of new ways to support the stuff that we've been talking about for the past hour, because in its absence, we'll all do fine, but there's this better place we can be. Yeah. And I think that is the vision that I see coming out of the work that we are for good does and why it's been really great to just spend an hour with you two today. Thank you guys for saying that. I think it's, I think it's an output of what you do It now it matters and why it matters. And I love that we're having this conversation because it already tells me that, that times are changing and that people are ready. And I'll tell you why I think this even matters to for-profit. It's because giving is now an identity. 
And yes. I mean, before, before we were like giving was something nice to do. And then we were doing our corporate social responsibility thing. I think Gen Z is going to bring so much hope and innovation into this sector because giving and doing good is core to who they are. And so, and here's just like a quick example. I have an 11 year old who loves the environment. And the other day I was visiting with her and I said, if I could give you a Nike hoodie um, and cause she's a real sports, sports girl. And I said, if you could have any color you want, any design, or I could give you a ocean conservancy sweatshirt, which one would you wear? And without a breath, you know, missing a breath, she says, I want the Ocean Conservancy one because that tells people who I am. Nike doesn't tell people who I am. And so I'm seeing this shift for, and that's Gen Alpha. So you can see what Gen Z is doing as it kind of relates in this technology boom that we're in because these kids, my kids included, have technology at their fingertips and they can find what matters to them. So if corporations, I think, need to pay attention because not only is philanthropy icing on the cake or our, you know, our corporate social responsibility, it is baked in to who we are now. And we're seeing Gen Z start to create monthly budgets for their philanthropy. They're already going into college classes to try to figure out how to save the environment. They are wired differently. And I honestly believe it, it brings a lot of hope and promise into our sector. We're watching it really closely. I'm glad that that's more popular than like the starter. I keep thinking of like the starter jackets that were cool growing up. I'm glad we're past <laughs> that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Becky, I so, was thinking so actually agree. of Benetton, but that's oh, a whole Benetton. Nother. Yeah. All yeah. the different yeah. colors. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. The United Colors of Benetton. <laughs> oh gosh. So last, last question here. And thank you so much for all, all of what you've been saying, what you talk about, what you're up to. And speaking of what you're up to and capacity, I, I am really excited about what you are doing with We're For Good Pro. And um, I, I wonder if you could say a little bit about what it is, where it's going, what people can expect on it. Thank you. I mean, it is kind of our first step in reflecting back after spending a year making friends and growing the community around We Are For Good. We wanted to create a platform that we didn't see in the world, you know, a place that you could make accessible trainings and kind of the best thought leaders in real time. And so we've curated our friends that we can now call friends in the sector that are disruptive, that are not teaching old school mentalities, but what works right now. And we're dropping in live coaching. So members of We Are For Good Pro can join us live and ask thought leaders their questions. I mean, it's like getting to um, tap the brains of some of the most brilliant people, but also finding community among each other. So we are for good pro we're dropping new content monthly and it's, it's been so fun. Like we geek out getting to meet people in real life, filming these things. It's so great. I mean, we just are building the things that we wanted to see. We see so much low hanging fruit, so much ability in our sector. And, you know, if we're being entirely selfish and honest right now, it's, we wanted to build a learning platform where again, the future leaders of nonprofit in 10 years, we want them to think this is the only way to, to go about making connections, about fundraising, about leveraging tech, about bringing everyone to the table. This, this sort of old patriarchal, misogynistic ways, power dynamics of the fundraising sector. There's some great hallmarks there and some great bedrock, but wow, it is rife for innovation. And we think that if we can teach 
tomorrow's leaders at now, it's going to be paying and reaping benefits for decades to come. So that's, there's our big, hairy, audacious dream for you with pro. I know y'all believe in this too, but it's like professional development is probably the highest ROI thing in your budget. I mean, you know, and And you can walk away and the first thing cut. Yeah. And so such an opportunity and the people that you're gathered there are fellow growth minded people. And it's just, it's encouraging place to spend your time. So. By the way, when you don't invest in professional development for your staff, they, you know, leave your nonprofit, become consultants, (laughs) maybe do some stuff in an ecosystem for a while, go work for a big corporate entity, and then wind up having a podcast. So I think the four of us are living proof of all of that. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe you shouldn't just to get more of this happening. (laughs) Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for all the work that you're doing, and uh, we can't wait to see. Uh, we can't wait to see what's next. Oh my gosh, yeah. love super you guys excited! So much. Thank you for having us. Keep doing what you're doing. We're just gonna like build our own little sandbox and build some really cool <laughs> shit over there. So I'm Could excited about it. <laughs> that's great. And yeah, they're coming to our podcast soon, so we can't wait to see you there too. But thank you for inviting oh, us. That's here. right, we are. That's gonna yeah, be super be duper fun. It's be super fun. Yeah. Yeah sort of uh, CW crisis on infinite earths happening here. That's it. We're going to put you in the hot seat this time. So yeah, get ready wait for it. <laughs> We're ready. I'm ready. That'd be great. Uh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you both. guys. Thank you. Folks, Tim and I were so excited to have this conversation with John and Becky today, and it connects to so much of what we try to bring to the forefront in our conversations, particularly for you as business leaders and insiders who really are doing the best work in the world. So if you want to see more episodes about putting humans at the center of our decision-making, check out our past episodes with Mallory Erickson, Christine Priester, and Marnie Webb. We're excited to let you know that We Are For Good has launched a professional development subscription called We Are For Good Pro, which includes thought leadership from cutting edge nonprofit professionals. But wait, there's more. As you know, Tim and I are both incredibly excited about Pond. Join pond.com as a new community that levels the power dynamic between nonprofit technologists and technology providers, including our guests from We Are For Good. And right now, and you cannot double coupon these, so you do need to pick one. You can either get $100 in Pond credit and apply it towards three months of We Are For Good Pro, or if you sign up for a one-year subscription for We Are For Good Pro, you can get $100 in Pond credit. Looking forward to seeing you in the water, folks. I'm Tim Lockie. I'm Tracy Kronzak. And you've been listening to Why It Matters. Why It Matters is a thought leadership project of Now It Matters, a strategic services firm offering advising and guiding to nonprofit and social impact organizations. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, check out our playlists, and visit us at nowitmatters.com to learn more about us.